It is a very good afternoon. Somebody only said to me the other day, Niall, why is it only on your podcast we're hearing both sides of the argument when it comes to the upcoming referendum on March the 8th? Well, that's because it's my podcast. That's why. And realistically, the government, they don't want you to hear both sides because, of course, the government parties all want you to vote yes. I want you to vote whatever way you think is right, be it yes or no. I think you all know where I stand on it, but don't you? Last week, we spoke to Senator Michael McDool and all the reasons why he didn't want people to vote for yes or vote yes. But he raised an interesting point. And this is in relation to the McKenna principles. And the McKenna principles basically suggest that the government should release any information they have that's relative to the referendum before the actual vote. Now, of course, Michael McDool had asked for information under Freedom of Information in relation to uh, meetings that had been had before they announced the referendum was going to happen and why they were announcing the referendum was going to happen. Because it does seem to some people, but... Why suddenly? You know, we've talked about this for years. You know, the old, the woman's place is in the home. Mind you, can I point out, it doesn't say that anywhere in the Constitution whatsoever, but it was kind of affectionately known as that. It doesn't seem to affect anybody's life. So why before a general election on International Women's Day are we going to have a referendum that takes out that line of the Constitution that represents and values the mother and a woman in the Constitution. Well, some people would say the reason is not because it's outdated and it's sexist. And also, we need to bring carers in there as well. And this whole family thing, Niall, is a load of nonsense. That's what people are telling me. Because there's loads of new different types of families, or as they call them, durable relationships. You might have been watching up front the other night on RTE. Thomas Byrne really made us proud, didn't he? Not his finest moment on television, I have to be honest. I think the, the game was won by Pater Tobin on the night. But you can decide... Well, one man who's not very happy with the way the referendum is running at the moment and the way things are being portrayed is Ron, Senator Ronan Mullen, who joins me this afternoon. Senator, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Niall. Thank you for bringing me on. Well, firstly, are you happy with the way this referendum is run? Do you believe it was a necessary referendum? Is it dated and sexist and outdated and misogynistic? I think it's none of those things. I think there was certainly the possibility for tweaking the wording in some places but whether 20 million of taxpayers' money uh, should be spent having a standalone referendum to put in tweaks to wordings that haven't been giving any trouble uh, is, is another question. And I, uh, the first thing that has made me unhappy with the government's behaviour on, um, on this referendum is their sheer unwillingness to have a proper discussion with people about what they're actually proposing. So if you look at what happened here, you know, they insist, oh, we've been talking about this for a long time. The reference to mother's uh, duties in the home for a long time. People have said it should be updated to make it less gender specific. I'm fine with all that. But if you look at what happened in recent months, you had a citizens assembly meeting that made a set of proposals. The government then had a consultation on what the citizens assembly was proposing. And they still haven't published what the public have actually said in response to that request to consult. And I have asked the minister on, on at least one and more than one occasion, nothing to hear about it. Then they came up with this, these two wordings that are quite strange, and we can go through those in a minute. Um, only a very short time ago, they dispensed at a quiet meeting before Christmas with the normal pre-legislative scrutiny. So that would have been an opportunity for a committee of the Dáil and Shannon to look at the wordings they were proposing before they would bring the referendum legislation through the Dáil and the Shannon. No, they weren't interested in having that. And then they rushed the debate through the Dáil and Shannon like a dose of salts, if you'll pardon the expression, 
the I think three out of the five stages of the of the legislation in the Dáil were dealt with in one day, and four out of five of the, the, the stages and the Shannon in one day, and then to make matters worse, they guillotined uh, the legislation. And the fight, the icing on this very unpleasant cake, if you like, is that when asked when it emerges then that there were sixty four pages of minutes of interdepartmental meetings which were involved their engagement among themselves and with NGOs about precisely what the implications of these referendum changes would be when asked to, to, to show us so that to help the public in, in our confusion about what, where all these wordings might lead us, they refuse to show that as well. So what you see is a government... Well, one, of, one of those NGOs during that meeting, of course, is an NGO that's now campaigning for a yes vote, which, you know, is exactly. not, it doesn't seem very fair in the whole scheme of things. And the idea that they're having it... Do you think it's a coincidence, by the way, that they're having it on International Women's Day? Or was that an intentional thing to sort of say, well, look, we're doing something for women here. Isn't this great? Oh, yeah. Well, you see, this is a government that's very good in gestures, but not great on substance. And clearly they want to, to give themselves some kind of a political boost by having it on International Women's Day because they want to send out a message that these proposals are somehow pro-women, which I think as is emerging, there's an awful lot of women that will actually take a very different view. But I think what we've established is that this is a government that's not committed to transparency about what these wordings mean, precisely the opposite. And I think that should make people concerned as to what is the true motivation uh, behind these wordings. Like, why is the government so anxious and why was the government so anxious to avoid careful scrutiny of the wordings they were proposing and just putting them to the public then in the hope of getting them through over a three or four week campaign. What's going on here? What are they hiding? I think that's the first question that we have to try and answer. But, but, it's, but, there, isn't, but there isn't always, I suppose, Roland, to be fair, there isn't always a man behind the curtain, is there? I mean, I know people kind of think that sometimes. Now, let, let's deal with the referendums one by one. Of course, the first yeah. referendum dealing, of course, with, as it's called, the carers referendum. So in other words, we didn't change the wording because you had suggested to me in the past when we've spoken that you'd be okay if they changed the wording to represent both, you know, the man and the woman or the husband, or should I say the wife or the mother and the father, you would be okay with that, you know, to take the gender out of it, so to speak, and to represent both parents. But they didn't do that. They're actually removing the whole thing. In other words, the fact that we value women in the home and the job they've done and they don't have to go to work and necessitate the to finance their families. We're removing that whole thing out and we're putting in this section in regards to carers. Now, the section yeah. in regards to carers is very welcomed in some degree, although it should say the government strives, which doesn't give them a huge amount of responsibility. And it also puts the onus on the family members to look after the person who's being cared for and not the actual government. So, I mean, look, we all agree that something could be put in the Constitution to protect people, you know, with disabilities or those who need carers. Uh, but removing the other one altogether is obviously what you object to. Yeah, and by the way, I'm not suggesting there's a man or a woman behind the curtain, but what I am suggesting is there's a certain amount of ideological groupthink within the government. And I think it has to do with their particular politics around gender. I don't think it's an accident that the word mother is 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 now about to exit the constitution forever if people vote for this care referendum proposal, because I think this is a government that has a lot of people within it and is tied and linked to a lot of NGOs who don't like talking about the distinct role of men and women, the difference between mothers and fathers and their different uh, value uh, in, in family life. So I think there is something going on there, but it's exactly as you say, and this is why I think there is a real insult to the taxpayer here, not just in holding the referendum 
because remember, when we have a referendum, we put a yes or no question to the people. Now, for the people to feel well served, they should be put a yes or no question on a question or questions that have been carefully scrutinised first so that you're not uh, wasting their time and money. The Dáil and Shannon are supposed to put that question to the people by approving it in legislation. And that's why rushing the legislation through, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in a very suspicious way is such a problem. So what we've got as a result are unscrutinized wordings, very uncertain as to what they mean. And as you and as you were saying, you know, in, in asking about whether it's needed or whether it would make changes, there would have been no problem with putting in a, a tweak to the wording that acknowledged not just mothers and mothers not being forced out of the home uh, um, by mm. economic necessity. There's a lot of women and men on the treadmill these days trying to balance home and work commitments who actually would feel, and I think we're hearing from them in these days, you know, it's not a bad thing that there's a bit of respect given to mothers and their duties in the home in the constitution. Now, what the government could have done is reworded that so as also to acknowledge the vital and valuable role of fathers. And they could have done this, for example, on the same day as the European um, and, and local elections. So instead of going for the cheap gimmick of the eighth of the day referendum costing the people 20 million, they could have put that question, not a controversial question. Everybody would have supported, you know, making it, you know, more gender inclusive of fathers and mothers. And they could have run that at significantly less cost on the same day as the local and European but, but, elections. But some people but have some suggested they're actually pulling the wool over people's eyes because it's not really a change of wording. It's a repeal, isn't it? They're actually repealing a whole section of the Constitution because if it was a case of changing or tweaking something, we could all vote yes or no quite simply on something like that, whether we agreed it or didn't disagreed with it. But we're actually removing something completely and replacing with something that's nothing to do with the original wording. Exactly. They're getting rid of the reference to mothers. They're getting rid of the reference to home. And what's the carrot for this, you know, controversial manoeuvre? They say, oh, we're putting something nice in about carers. Um, and the reality is that it gives nothing practical to carers. It's interesting, Niall, that the government isn't able to point to a single social benefit for carers or for families or for single parents or for children that you need to pass this referendum in order to achieve. I mean, what the O'Mara well, case... Well, well, well sorry, sorry for interrupting, but Roderick O'Gorman did suggest, and the government have suggested, that by putting this into the Constitution, it would put the government under pressure in the future to legislate, you know, to the benefit of carers. And you obviously don't agree yeah, with that. They could have done that anyway. Exactly. And Simon Harris admitted that the government was already free uh, to legislate for carers and their rights if they want to. The question is, do they really want to give anything of value to carers? And what I'd invite people to do is to look at the clause where the state guarantees to provide, the state shall provide for free primary education in the country. Now, if you're interested in giving a constitutional guarantee to, to something, those are the kind of words you use, the state shall provide. Is there anything like that on offer for carer here? Absolutely not. The weak language of striving. They don't even talk about, you know, the, the language that was there that was going to protect mothers from being forced out of the home to engage in labour uh, mm. because of economic necessity. There's none of that language where that the state shall endeavour to ensure. There's nothing so positive or so definite even as that. You simply have this acknowledgement of care relationships, grand, it's symbolic, but no commitment to doing anything for them. And that's a, that's a big price to pay uh, for what we're losing, which is any respect for mothers, and indeed, by implication, 
for fathers and what they do in the home. Because Chief Justice Murray, in a previous court case, said, you know, the Constitution and that clause implicitly recognises the value and the importance of what fathers do in their role in the home. So there's this move away from any respect for fathers and mothers and their distinctive contribution and this vague language about care between people, which actually gives people nothing. And what I'd be suggesting to people is, not to accept that insult, not to accept that sleight of hand, it, you know, it would be much better to have a reformed wording on care, perhaps in June mm -hmm. with the local and European elections, and they can stick okay. another ballot paper in front of us at significantly less cost. The other, the other problem, of course, Councilman is a Councilman Martin, who's already knee-deep in the long grass because of RTE, has also been uh, questioned and criticised by a former Supreme Court, a court judge who's also chairperson of uh, Commission Amman, and she, and, or I should say the Electoral Commission, um, over the, the wording that she is using, and that many other government ministers, she's not the only one, by the way, guilty of it, referring to it as the woman's place is in the home. I mean, that's the way it was kind of, it was said to me many, many years ago when we talked about that section of the Constitution. But now everybody should be of the, the firm education that it doesn't actually say that anywhere in the Constitution. I don't think there's a woman in this country who feels that she has to stay in the House because the Constitution says so. So why do you believe the Electoral Commission are not pulling the government up on misinformation when indeed they're the very ones and the government are the very ones who set up the Electoral Commission in the first place to stop other people from putting out misinformation? Well, if I recall correctly, and I don't have it in front of me, there was one brief correction, I think, by the chair of the Electoral Commission, Mary Baker, as regards that particular misuse by the minister of the phrase, you know, that a woman's place is in the home. Again, what I think we're looking at here is, you know, the, 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 the bait and switch approach to politics, where the government is trying to sell this as something that is inclusive of both men and women. They're trying to sell this as something that gives a nod to care but in fact, uh, what they're not talking about is all that they are taking away. They're taking away the underlying support for the relationship between marriage and family as something good in our society. They're creating uncertainty about what durable relationships could mean. We don't know if it means... Well, we'll come to that now. Yeah, well, well I was going to come to that. I was going to come to that part of the referendum now. Let's, and, and, let's come and to that. The proposal on care. OK, let's come to that part. This is the family part of the referendum, the second part of the referendum, if people are voting. Um, you know, and the argument by the government and by government ministers is that we do live in a different world and nobody denies that, where, you know, many people don't get married anymore. I mean, we're seeing a huge percentage of the population now not wanting to get married or not want to make that commitment anymore. And that's their business. We see a lot of single parents. We have uh, same-sex couples. We have di different people in different types of relationships that they will say, these are my family. So should they not be recognised, and the government not rising then, they should be recognised in the, in the Constitution by using the words, although confusing, durable relationship. Well, again, it's, 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 the, it's the wrong answer to the right question. The right question is, should there be recognition? And the answer is, of course, there should be, and there could be with the right wording. We should note in passing, however, that one of the part of the genius of our Constitution is that it has actually left the flexibility to government and to the Oireachtas over the years, and we've seen in the recent court decision in O'Mara, how the constitution, while it might encourage you know, marriage as the foundation for family life, it in no way gets in the way of the acknowledgement of the rights and dignity of other people, of the many families that are not actually founded on the marital relationship. Now, I should say that, among others, I had a reference and, 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 and a wording and an amendment on offer to this legislation this referendum legislation in the Shannon that would have that would have broadened that concept out. 
But I think it should be said there is nothing wrong in principle with with an aspiration that links marriage and family life, provided that there is no unjust discrimination towards people in whatever situation they find themselves. And as I've said, the O'Mara case is a classic example only a few weeks ago, how, you know, where the courts found that a, a, a person who in, in a, a, a cohabitant, basically, whose, whose, whose spouse had deceived, was deceased, was entitled to access the, the widower's pension um, based on the rights of the children of that relationship. And I think that shows the genius and the flexibility of the Constitution. So the idea that the Constitution is some kind of a discriminatory document that is, you know, obstructing good legislation to protect children and to protect families in all sorts of situations, that would be a completely a false idea. Could you have, you know, reworded it slightly just in addition to honouring marriage and encouraging marriage as the base of family life also give some respect to families that are not necessarily, you know, born out of marriage? Of course that could have been done, but instead what they've done is they've brought in this nebulous, uncertain concept of durable relationships. They've said that durable relationships will, that there will be no differential uh, treat, different, there'll be no differential treatment of durable relationships with, with marriage when it comes to all the rights that are associated with family. Remember, the significance of this is that, that the, the, the constitutional definition of family is the underpinning for all sorts of rights and distinctions that we make in relation to things like succession law, pension law, maintenance where relationships break down, benefit for children, all sorts of issues linked back to the idea of the family. So where the family is just to be based on a durable relationship and to enjoy all of those rights, the same as, let's say, a marital family, then we need to know what a durable relationship is. And it is very unsatisfactory that the government is saying, oh, we will leave that to the court to decide. Or the Oireachtas. Well, Thomas Byrne suggested it could be left to the Oireachtas as well. But it's not even clear that it could be because there there isn't a a kind of a saver clause that that will say as regulated by law, as you will often find in other constitutional provisions, you 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 would have to see whether the court would accept any Oireachtas distinction. And how can they do so if we're being told that a durable relationship is now to be, you know, the foundational uh, unit of society? Well, they, but, they, they, but they have said, you know, well, in their leaflet that's going around at the moment, it has to be a committed relationship of over two years or whatever it happens to be. Now, Thomas Byrne did say on the Upfront programme the other night he was talking about when questioned by um, Aintu, uh, by Pader Tobin, he did say it could be a case of somebody who was going through a divorce and separation, but not yet separated and divorced, and was with a new person who may have had a family, and that would be a durable relationship. But technically speaking, then they're with two people at the same time in two durable relationships, which means both, you know, the new woman uh, in that situation and the old wife, who is not yet separated and divorced, would have some sort of claim on an estate. But Thomas Byrne's answer to that was that this is typical of referendums and, you know, throwing out these red herrings, uh, which are always going to be the case in referendums. We've seen it with the abortion referendum. We've seen it with the the marriage equality referendum and every other referendum that the no side just throw out these constant red herrings about troubles and all this kind of nonsense. But I think they call it a Gary Owen in rugby, you know, when you kick the ball high into the air and then you run and it may be your side that catches the ball or it may be the opposition that catches it. That's the kind of uncertainty that the government is foisting on us with this particular referendum. And I beg to differ with Thomas Byrne. That is not how referenda normally take place. Normally, first of all, as I've said earlier, there is close scrutiny about what the words mean. I mean, we've I've heard the government say, oh, 
durable relationships. Yeah, that's a core. That's not an unknown concept. It comes up in uh, European law. And then you ask them, oh, yeah, and what does it mean in European law? They can't actually tell you. So we don't know how long a durable relationship has to be in being for it to be durable. Uh, Thomas More can have a guess, but so can you and I and the man in the moon and Mr. Magoo and whoever you want. Um, well, I, well I, know, I know in Italy, for example, they have durable relationships, but the way they work in Italy, and I had a caller on the show say that the way it works in Italy is if you're in a, or what you believe is a durable relationship, in other words, you're in a committed relationship with a woman for a period of time, you then go to the local city mayor's office or whatever it is, and you have to sign, uh, you know, a document to say both of you agree that you're in a durable relationship. And I'm going, yeah. is that not kind of just like marriage? <laughs> but just with and a different but, word. But, yes, but but you see, we had that approach to, for example, we passed legislation in 2010 that gave certain defined rights to cohabitants, for example. So let's say where you were, where you had children, if you were two years, if you're in your relationship where you didn't have children, where you were five years, certain limited rights could, could be available. And of course, you were able to contract out of that arrangement because if you hadn't signed up for marriage, it might be that you didn't want to confer rights on each other. Now, contrast that careful approach to detail with this new situation where something called a durable relationship, and we don't know what it means, we don't know how long it has to be last, we don't know whether they can be more than one of them at the same time. And when you consider what it costs to go to court, when you consider how poorer people in particular will struggle to get their rights in court, for us to be told by the government that this can all be sorted out in court. So you have somebody, for example, who, when their spouse dies, they discovered that there was actually a parallel durable relationship in the all languages or whatever the male version of a mistress is. I don't know if there's a, an equivalent term. I don't want to be uh, gender specific about this. Um, uh, you know, and suddenly somebody else is claiming rights and they're able to show, in fact, they had a relationship that was quite durable and went on for a long time, perhaps even with issue and unknown to everybody. Now, the idea that we should be told the courts will sort this out and they will tell us sometime in the future whether that qualifies as a durable relationship to be a foundational unit of society with the same rights as a marital relationship is simply intolerable and the state should not be treating the constitution, the government shouldn't be treating the constitution that way, they shouldn't be uh, treating the electorate that way. And, and the other point about durable relationships, how do we know it only means two people? Now, nobody is suggesting that this is going to lead to bigamy being legalised, okay, the law on marriage is is clear as things stand. But what happens when somebody seeks to avail of rights, um, for example, bringing not one, but perhaps two or three or more spouses, which they have contracted with under the laws of another country. And if there, uh, if there comes a point in our law, for example, where a person can bring their, their marital spouse into the country on foot of their getting status, how are we going to, 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 to say then that somebody who has several durable relationships under the law of another country isn't to be treated the same way? Again, you know, it isn't red herrings to point to all the things that the government hasn't nailed down in presenting this half-baked proposal. And that's why I argue it, the, the reason it is so vague is because there is a wing within the government that wants it to be vague because they are allergic to the idea of the male-female binary as a basis for marital and family life, all things uh, being Which Which most of them don't even know what a woman is. I mean, re in, re in recent want, times... They want this nice and vague and amorphous because that's the direction some of them want policy to go on, on a whole lot of areas to do with family. 
Well, in recent times, we've seen more more than, more than not uh, government ministers fail to recognise what a woman actually is or not even want to answer that question for fear that they would be dragged through the hot coals for even suggesting it might be an adult human female. Uh, in relation to immigration, just finally, uh, the durable relationships, according to Neil Richmond, will have an impact on immigration because family reunification, which has an average of 12 people at the moment, could be extended uh, to different members of the family due durable relationships. Now, we know immigration is a hot topic on the doorsteps, for the next election anyway, uh, but this could make matters worse, according to Neil Richmond, by his own admission. Yes, although he didn't call it worse. He just, when the question was put to him as whether this would all have implications for immigration law, he accepted that it would, if I recall correctly, on, mm -hmm. on uh, Virgin Media, I think it was. So again, yeah, you you, you know, is, is it that they haven't thought through all of this or is it that they actually want to introduce this new fluidity, which is a word that's very much in vogue, which the Taoiseach used uh, at the United Nations not that long ago. So I, I can't speak to their motivations, but I, I can speak to what I think is their political ideology. And their political ideology, you know, they do not have a good track record in giving us an honest, well-structured approach to law and policy. They don't seem to want it to be properly debated. They close down discussion. They label people who ask hard questions, whether it's on the topic of migration. And I speak as somebody with, and I hope, are generous instincts in that area. But I believe that all the hard questions must be fairly asked and fairly answered. And should, nobody should be a second-class citizen for asking the hard questions about how the government is organising that aspect of our policy. So I think they've done very badly. I don't think they have a... I think they're... You know, this is a government that is poor on solving the real issues affecting people's lives. If you want to talk about housing, if you talk, want to talk about the failure to rein in and to properly organise healthcare spending and so on. But very, very good on ideological type symbolism and very good at spending taxpayers' money in order to pursue these these particular political mm -hmm. frolics. But I, I, I don't think it's a good way to govern. Um, and I hope that people will give these two proposals a resounding no and no on the 8th of March. And I've, I would love to see, you know, a more appropriate wording on care, giving real rights to carers. And I'd be very, very open to something that gives specific mention for the first time to fathers and their parenting role at home, which I think is so vital if you look at today's society. I would love to think that, I don't believe they'll move so quickly, but I would love to think that they would, that they would take the, you know, if they get the rebuff that this proposal deserves on the 8th of March, that they would take the opportunity, eat some humble pie and come back with some you know, more broadly acceptable proposals on those two issues uh, on June when the people are going to the polls again. Or perhaps well, 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 Sinn, Sinn Féin have already said, of course, Sinn Féin in the past have said it was undemocratic to rerun re a referendum and they, they mentioned this going back many years ago, but Sinn Féin are the ones who are now saying, well, if you put us back in power, even if it's a no vote, we'll rerun the referendum anyway. I mean, your own prediction, by the way, I asked Michael McDougall the same thing last week, he predicts it's going to be a no vote. Some of the polls are suggesting it's going to be a yes vote and if we're to believe Google, by the way, uh, uh, Google's new AI Gemini, they've already predicted the result because if you ask about the referendum, they'll tell you it's over and it was a majority win for the yes side. That just goes to show you how AI works. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I, I, I'm no great predictor of these things, but I have a confident feeling that both of these proposals are going to be uh, clearly rejected at the end. I mean, to be honest with you, Niall, if you take out the few spokespeople from the state-funded government parties, okay, and the and the, and the other state-funded parties in the Dáil, and if you take out the NGOs, which are substantially state-funded, um, it's hard to see whether there's anybody actually out there who really believes 
uh, in these referendum wording proposals campaigning for a yes vote. And I've been asking NGOs that I've encountered in debate, you know, are you really in favour of this? Or do you feel, you know, because remember, there was this vague threat from Roderick. Of course, from Roderick O'Gorman. Yes, of course. About, well, they didn't, he didn't suggest funding wouldn't be taken away. But what he did say no. was they should be campaigning for a yes vote. And if they're not, there might be questions asked. Yeah, and, and to my mind, that, that could have a chilling effect on, let's say, on people in NGOs that are heavily stated funded as uh, speaking their minds. Then you have people like the National Women's Council, which I think gets about 95 or 96 percent of their their staffing money from the state. No evidence that they have actually consulted on these wordings with their organizations and no real evidence that they have had any ordinary human beings as their members. If they do, it's probably no more than a few dozen. So again, we have this insiderism in our society at the moment where people who are very close to the bureaucracy you know, they're they're squeaky. They get the the money, the financial grease, courtesy of the taxpayer via the government, and then they seem to kind of back up what the government looks for. So you have this kind of circular approach to power involving a certain amount of insiders. We would like to make one quick point on that. You spoke about the McKenna principles earlier on. That mm -hmm. ruling back in 1995, followed on by the McChrystal case later on, the time of the children's referendum, makes it very clear that public money is not to be spent advocating one way or another on a referendum proposal. The government are entitled to speak in their personal, ministerial, political capacity. They're entitled to use their state cars to get to the debate, but they are not entitled to use public money to push it in a yes or no once the question is before the people. When you consider then that one of the NGOs out banging the drum looking for a yes vote on this is, as I said, the National Women's Council of Ireland, which is getting about 95 or 96% of its staffing costs from the state, either directly or through the HSE, you have to wonder whether the McKenna principles are being honoured there. It hasn't been tested in the courts as to whether that constitutes a breach. But as I said last week in the Shannon, that's something we're going to have to come back to. Because if you have these state-funded quangos indirectly making the case on the part of the government, which isn't supposed to be using public money to advocate for a yes or no then I think the principles that the Supreme Court so carefully established in the McKenna and the Crystal cases are, are being frustrated. Well, well, it, well, it is, well, it is using the money by proxy, really, isn't it? I suppose you yeah, could argue. My, yeah, I think so. There's a real issue there. Okay, well, listen, I get it. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. And we all look forward to the referendum to it, see which way it's going to go. Obviously, you want people to vote no, and you're encouraging people and to vote no. Two no's. <laughs> two no's. Senator Ronan Mullen, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Thank you, Niall. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.